Welcome, everybody. Um, this is Bob Saxon, and we are on the air for the uh, this this uh, segment of our continuing series of Akiba webinars. And this is on chartering issues and answers. We welcome your your participation and your attendance. I want to just uh, say as an opening comment that uh, somebody said we shouldn't have these because there's so much uncertainty. Well, what's good about these are that it 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 it, it confirms the uncertainties. If there's nothing else that happens, we're all in this together sort of a thing. And the idea here is to create some dialogue and some chat uh, that we can put back out to the industry on a positive basis and maybe come up with some solutions. So who's listening? We have, we'll have captains, we'll have charter brokers, charter managers, we'll have all kinds of folks that represent the cross section of our industry listening in. So keep that in mind. Our panelists, um, aside from myself, we have um, veteran charter broker from International Yacht Collection, their commercial officer, Leanne Plisky who also has happens to be uh, co-chair of our charter retail committee. Daphne DeFay, sorry, uh, Leanne's with the International Yacht Collection. Daphne DeFay, longtime charter manager at Ocean Independence. She too, coincidentally, happens to be a co-chair of our charter professionals committee. And those two committees do a great job. They're subcommittees of EVA, and I'm sure you're familiar with them all. And then with us is sort of like an ex-officio member of the charter committees. And that's uh, David Moss, partner at Ali Moss, Rogers, and Lindsay. And uh, he does so much for our industry. I want to acknowledge that this time right now, because he is kind of like almost a member. His inf information that he provides to the betterment of the industry is pretty considerable. I want to issue a disclaimer at this point that any opinions or uh, position statements that might be made are just that. And these are not uh, etched in granite and should not be uh, sanctified and taken back as uh, policy. So just keep that in mind as well. Purpose here is to create dialogue and just to share some ideas. You'll notice over on the right side, we have a chat uh, function. And that is the purpose of that is to create questions that might be addressed that I don't have on my list to uh, talk to my, um, Bob Fritzky just said that my voice is barely <laughs> Okay, well, let me lean a little bit forward here. So. Um, so the chat function is there for you to, to submit questions for the for the uh, panelists or for me. Tell Bob to turn up his mic. And also Bob Frisky <clears throat> recommended that you turn up your mic. <laughs> All right. So um, we're we're just about ready to get started. Um, and I think that what I'd like to do is notice that there are handouts. So the handout key there, and Leanne has provided us with some handouts. There's polls. We're going to be asking two poll questions that we encourage you to vote on. And so we can share your, your opinions with the panelists and with the rest of the industry as well. So let's get rolling here. And I think a good way to get started is to uh, ask, I'll, I'll poll the panel and ask each of them from their perspective to give us that, just that, their perspective on the industry. And because we have Daphne who talks principally with owners, we have Leanne who talks principally with clients and we have David Moss who talks with both and just about everybody else. So let me start, let me start with uh, Daphne. Daphne, what, uh, give us, what's the pulse out there? What's going on? Well, I mean, I can say from my perspective, the past week has been more optimistic even than last week as far as inquiries coming in. I think that stems a lot from what's happening on the news and soft openings coming soon kind of thing. And so everybody's, of course, still eager to get out of the house to a degree. I mean, there's still a lot of conservatism out there. Um, 
you know, the, the interest seems to be at least for late summer into winter, Bahamas, Caribbean. Um, I have less personally going on in the med right now. It doesn't mean that my colleagues in the med aren't having that because I, I am hearing from our team calls that it's also coming in there. Funny enough, interesting statistic from one of my colleagues in France was that she's getting a lot of French nationals wanting to charter in France for the summer starting June, July, which is a great sign. So I think a lot of the nearby stuff is happening, especially for, from my point of view in Florida too. Well, that's very interesting. I, I think um, as I've been predicting all along, and I hope it's true is that charter charting will lead the way back as people uh, want to dip their toes in the water and, and uh, get out of where they are now and experience nature and all that. So those are good signs. Uh, Leanne, what are you hearing from the clients? Um, equally excited to get out of lockdown. Um, they are stir crazy just like the rest of us. Uh, you know, also peppered that with concern. How do we do this safely? How do we get there how do we you know what are the crew doing um so i think there's optimism and there's chomping at the bit they they're ready to charter i just think we've got a lot of uh back-end work to do to figure out as an industry how we move forward let me ask you a question that was posed to me and it was are charter brokers being irresponsible and offering charters to their customers at the present time now that's a pretty heavily weighted negative word, irresponsible, but can you give us your opinion on that? I think the term I, I read was insensitive. Um, and I, I, I understand it from both perspectives. I understand that charter managers still have to market their vessels um, to the public, to, the, to, to us, to the charter brokers. Um, but I, I, I think the message, at least the message that I'm trying to portray to my clients is one of hope and when we can, where shall we, where can you go? Um, because right now we're all armchair quarterbacks. We're all stuck at home. We're all um, longing for life to be like it used to. So I think part of it, I mean, it is a little insensitive, but also people need to dream. And it's how you, I think, go about doing it, just like you said. You have those conversations in depth and offer the options and sort of the care of what's going on so that not only the sensitivity towards crew and their safety, but the sensitivity towards those clients that have the capability to go still. Um, sensitivity, I think the word is being used more for those who can't and that are really yeah. hurting. And that's really more where it's a tough one. I mean, I think every industry is going to go through that, not just us. Yeah. Uh, David, how about you? What are you hearing these days? Well, we're hearing primarily from owners who want to keep book charters and figure out a way to continue attracting charter clients, uh, knowing that there's a lot of uncertainty about when and whether they'll actually be able to charter. And to a lesser extent from charters, uh, some of whom are being proactive in, in sort of exploring different options with owners. Um, to keep to keep charter bookings um, and a few who are are really scared and are looking to get out of bookings mm -hmm. um, So I think on both sides owner charterer people are trying to be flexible trying to come up with alternatives um, That's what we're seeing Yeah, I, I think the industry is still rife for cancellations and postponements and so it begs some contract issues 
And I'm wondering, David, if you could uh, go over a couple uh, of items for us, technical issues for us, in terms of force majeure that might come into play, and also the concept of contract frustration. Okay, sure. So um, these are two concepts that people are talking about a lot now, force majeure and frustration of contracts. Um, what you need to know about force majeure is that it's entirely a matter of contract. It just depends on how the contract is worded, what's in the contract. So a lot of times people will throw around uh, the phrase force majeure, say this is force majeure, that's force majeure, we can't have the charter because of force majeure. You may have like an intuitive sense that something is force majeure, but what really matters is how it's defined in a contract and what the contract says about what it means. So under the MEBA contract, there's a definition that doesn't specifically include quarantines and pandemics, but would probably apply to something like uh, COVID-19. But there's only limited circumstances where it comes into play. So it only comes into play if the owner can't deliver the vessel on time as agreed, or if the charterer can't re-deliver the vessel on time as agreed. It doesn't apply if the charterer, for example, can't reach the vessel because of a travel restriction or something like that. So it really benefits the owner more than it does the charterer. Now, frustration of contract is different. Frustration of contract is sort of a, a general contract law doctrine that applies in both English and American law. And with frustration of contract, it's also called impossibility. If you agree to do something and then because of a change in circumstances that you could not have, have expected, um, it becomes impossible to do that, you're relieved from, from doing it. Now, it's a very high standard. It, it's not just that something becomes more difficult, more onerous, more expensive. It has to be really close to impossible. Um, so for example, if an owner or if a charterer doesn't want to go to a, to a charter location because he's afraid of infection or um, it's sort of a subjective fear, but it's legal for him to go, it wouldn't come into play. Uh, so that would be really the charterers, what the charter would be able to use uh, to get out of a, of a charter. But again, it's a high standard. It's very difficult to meet. Um, but the benefit is it doesn't have to be written into the contract the way force majeure does. Force majeure, if it's not written into the contract, it doesn't exist. It doesn't help you. As, as uh, some of the contracts are under the MEBA contract, we just had a point made by Sophia that force majeure does not exist in the doctrine of English law, does not exist in the doctrine of English law in the MEBA law. It doesn't exist as a doctrine of English or American law. As I said, it's it's totally a matter of contract. It's, it's just, force majeure is just a, a term of art for a kind of provision in a contract. Mm -hmm. uh, frustration of contract, like I said, is different. Frustration of contract is a general doctrine that applies whether or not it's written into the contract. All right. Taking that a step further, we just had a question from Andy McCorney. If a charter uh, states U.S. and BBI, okay, and those ports are closed off, let's say, theoretically, is there a frustration of contract that they cannot enter the BBI? I had the same question uh, asked uh, earlier, and uh, can you continue with that? <laughs> Sure. I mean, it, it, it's a question of degree. If you look at the cruising area for the charter, and certainly if it were entirely closed, you would have a strong case for impossibility because you'd be unable to perform the contract at all. If a small part of it were closed, probably not. I think as long as there are um, enough sort of destinations that are open within the charter area, the charter could still be performed. The fact that a part of it is closed off probably isn't enough to get you to frustration, but it's going to be a question of degree. I mean, in a lot of the cases dealing with frustration, courts have said that even if you agree to do things one way, if there's an alternative way to do it that you can still do, then it's not frustration. For example, a lot of frustration cases dealt with the closure of the Suez Canal 
in, in the 50s and, and 60s when traffic was forced to go around the Cape of Good Hope in Africa, much longer, much more expensive, but courts said, if you can still do it, you can still do it. And it's not frustration. So I think as long as there are reasonable alternatives, you're probably not gonna get frustration. David, can I um, make a point or ask a question? Um, to that same question that early on in the uh, closures of travel destinations, I personally was dealing with a contract that started in the USVI and was meant to cruise into the BVI. And, um, you know, like everyone else, I was taught when I was doing my MEBA agreements that under cruising area, you just put the Caribbean or the West Med or, and in fact, um, I think a, a point of, of learning for all of us is that if we, if I had put US and BVI in that line, it would have been easier to, to frustrate, so to speak, that contract. I mean, that's not what we ended up doing. We ended up reaching an amicable agreement. But I think the point, takeaway point here is in the future, I think we need to be more specific in our, in our lining up of what our destinations are intended. The question was asked, um, well, Jennifer asked, are we finding it takes, I'm going to direct this to Daphne, are you, are you finding it takes four times the effort to unwind a book charter with a postponement addendum? Versus a new one with an addendum, I'm assuming? Um, yeah, yes, I mean, I think we all know that it becomes a meeting of the minds, so to speak, and that's always harder um, because it's not clearly addressed in these agreements. So um, yes, I mean, we, we've all gone through it. I, I think case in point is we've we've had a very thorough um, couple of addendums put forward by associations, MIBA being one of them, and we've all been trying to sort of pick it apart based on what each owner and charterer is willing to agree to. Um, and I think I, I can personally say that several of mine took a while because there wasn't a meeting of the minds on any of these points or they wanted all of them. And, you know, it, it was challenging. But from, from my point of view, I've been fortunate enough to just have a few that did finally just kind of break down and decide, OK, I just want to give in. This will either give a refund or go with a rebooking in a shorter period or something like that. So. Is there a rule of thumb, let me ask, is there a rule of thumb as far as cancellations and postponements are concerned? How far in advance is reasonable? And uh, is there something that, that we can use as a benchmark? Well, the, the rebooking and it from most of my fleet in general prior to all of this was a, a fairly standard 12 month initial mm -hmm. proposal. However, I can tell you I've got three boats easily right now in my fleet that would not offer 12 months, especially during this COVID situation. And it was because of the crisis that they felt a new um, potential change in their ownership of the boat and potentially putting it on the market for sale. I don't know where I'm gonna, if I'm gonna own my boat next year this time. So I don't know that I wanna give a full 12 months. And so that, that I found a little more challenging in this crisis than typically with the 12 months. Um, so I had a couple that were like a six month versus a 12, um, but the rest were 12. Thank you. Um, 
up on the side, Bob, I think there's a really interesting question for David. Um, is a shelter at home order for clients yeah, that, enough to just came up. That's Kathy Mullen. Uh, yeah. David, can you see that? Is the shelter at home in order for clients' location enough to uh, cause force majority? Does y'all have to refund or can they insist on rescheduling? Insist on rescheduling. Well, so again, under the MEBA form and, and under also the AYCA forms, which are in part based on it, um, the owner would, have, would probably have the ability to declare force majeure in those circumstances because the owner wouldn't be able to make the yacht available for a charter um, in, a, in a place where there's a, a shelter in place order. Uh, were the owner to cancel in that case, he the charter would get his money back, but the owner would still be liable for commission. For the charterer, it's a kind of a, a more difficult situation because he doesn't have the right under the contract to declare force majeure. Um, he would have to say, uh, that the contract had been frustrated because it's impossible or illegal for me to meet the, the vessel at the, where I'm supposed to embark. Um, I think probably the, the best from, from either side, but particularly from the owner's point of view, rather than put the, the charterer in that situation, would be to offer to reschedule. And that that's just sort of a, a negotiation that you can have outside of the contract about whether you want to amend it. But within the framework of the contract itself, the owner would have a right to cancel for force majeure. The charterer would have to rely on frustration, which is more uncertain. Thank you. We are getting an awful lot of questions on chat. We're going to try to service as many of these as we possibly can. I have a hot potato for you, Dan. Uh-oh. Okay, here it comes. And that is, uh, is it fair uh, for an owner to be obligated to pay commissions on a cancellation or postponement? I'm sorry, on a cancellation. Oh, well, I think Daphne and I are probably going to have differing opinions on this. <laughs> I think David's going to have to step in. <laughs> I have a personal opinion. Um, I have a personal opinion, and then I have a corporate opinion. How's that? Um, I mean, to be honest, in the last couple of weeks, I have worked harder on each charter trying to negotiate changes and and reschedules and or cancellations than I have ever worked on any charter in my life. So we are working as charter brokers five times harder now to try to keep our client happy and to try to make the situation as mutually agreeable as possible. It's not, it's not easy. I mean, this situation is no one's fault, right? Nobody could have anticipated this and, and you know, I'm hesitant to give my personal opinion. Most of my clients are multi, multi, multi repeat clients. So I think the answer to your question is, in my opinion, they should be able to get out of their charter without penalty. But that's just my personal opinion. It's a commercial decision and it's a hard one because you know most charter brokers are independent contractors. And if we don't make anything from any of these commissions, you know, we don't eat, we don't send our children to school, we don't pay our mortgage. So it's very, very challenging times. Yeah, um, Paul put over to me, <laughs> my stage director grip um, and managing uh, editor here just slid over to me, well in sales, if we don't have a sale, we can know. So that is strictly a um, uh, rhetorical question. question. How do you feel about owners on the, because you're representing the owners, Daphne, the managers, and what are your owners saying about commissions on cancellations? So the, the one owner that I, well, I've had a, a several, but <laughs> one particular scenario that stands out for me that 
became challenging really in how to respond is was had to do with the the owner saying okay i'm also in a hardship situation business-wise like others so the client shouldn't lose out in this situation and have to pay something i shouldn't lose out in this we're all taking a hit so to speak um and in every other industry this is where it came um yacht brokers real estate other commission only based industry uh, or positions um those those positions work really hard to get to the bottom line and a lot of those deals fall through and those commissions are not paid and that's really what hit home for me that i i felt stuck i i don't know what to say about that because mm -hmm. i agree I, that you know yes commission-based only brokers are they put a lot of work and continue to and deserve to make something i mm -hmm. think the resolution has to come for the future where there's some kind of um negotiation or or st standardized rebooking fee where there's a, a step down in this and some form of commission being paid but maybe just a, a percentage of that yeah. um that way the hard work is paid for the management companies get something because i i do think that it's the same even though that's only five percent and and we have more employees in the on that sector it's still you know the companies still pay a lot of marketing fees they're losing too not just the the brokers so it's everybody um and i just think that we need some kind of resolution moving forward something, oh sorry Bob. So just more to this point real quick something that's been sort of tossed around in various committees and discussion groups about this um i've heard some interesting resolutions come through um for example a repeat client you know some a charter broker had to have the very difficult conversation with her repeat client saying you know hey i need to pay my bills as well and the client um suggested that she keep this commission and credit the next one for the future booking because he's going to book again and again and so I, I know you're good for it i'm going to come back to you so keep this sort of you know on retainer so to speak i've also i've also come across um people splitting it i mean let's be realistic the client right. has no ability to get out of this contract unless you go to frustration which as david said is very very difficult to prove so why not charge the client five percent charge the owner five percent for lack of a better word and and everybody split it amongst the commissioned parties you know it's it could be considered a cancellation fee it could be a you know, however you want to word it, but at least then everybody understands that people are being appreciated for their hard work and, you know, that you're getting out of a contract that you might not necessarily have been able to get out of and you would have had to forfeit your whole deposit, which in some cases is hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well, and same, if I can defer to David on this, you know, the question keeps coming. Is it, it in these situations, if the owner is claiming a force majeure, does that mean he's still obligated then to pay the commission? And and I mean, I think, yes, we know that, but from at least the terms of our contracts. However, are all these brokers going to go have to spend legal fees to go after owners? We know that's probably not the case. And I think those owners know that too. And that's why we have to come up with some better resolutions. 
as often happens in this industry, it does come down to negotiations. Let's not forget that the common ground between everybody is the owner still wants charters and the charter clients still want to charter in most cases. And so the meeting in the middle ground someplace as far as commissions or as far as rebooking policies and all that. And I need to segue into another subject, but first I want to ask David, do you see pandemic language being added to contracts for the future? Yes, I, as I said, the, the MEBA force majeure clause doesn't refer specifically to quarantines or pandemics. Uh, mm -hmm. It does refer to government restrictions and there is sort of catch-all language about anything beyond the party's reasonable control. Most people who have looked at it agree that it would apply to a situation like this, but there's no harm in adding language to make absolutely clear that it does. And I think it's very likely that after this, they'll amend the media form uh, to specifically refer to quarantine and pandemic in the force majeure clause. I think another change that's probably likely is to make force majeure for both ways. Uh, so it applies to both the charter and the owner. Because right now, only the owner has a right to terminate force majeure, but if force majeure would prevent the charterer from reaching the place of delivery, or uh, if force majeure would close the cruising grounds entirely, um, then I think the charterer should have a right to declare force majeure as well. And I, I would be surprised if MEBA doesn't make that change to the charter agreement so that it, it goes both ways. We think Liam that a little bit. I'm sorry about the dog, guys. This is the joy of, of webinars from your home. That's um, okay. That's that adds a nice little human touch to it all. Uh, I want to move on. I want to mention a couple of things. Uh, first of all, Jason uh, Bacon, my good friend Jason Bacon on Bar Catherine on Barniente, asked about test kits. Okay. Yeah. So we saw, some of us saw, and it was pointed out to me, that there is a fairly prominent uh, charter brokerage firm uh, offering test kits. But you yeah. have to read the fine lines. Yeah. What were the fine lines? Well, um, I did, again, a lot of research on this yesterday. Um, right now, they're only available to EU and UK people because they're not FDA approved. They're approved by whatever the FDA version is in Europe. Um, and the second thing about these test kits is that they are for antibodies. So they are only telling you if you have been infected in the past. Um, now, that's not to say that there isn't a test coming down the pipeline, because there are. I mean, hundreds of organizations are working on coming up with, you know, solutions to as best as we can come up with solutions. Um, but we're not there yet. I mean, I think ultimately there's a lot of questions on the side about, you know, how are we going to, what are best practices moving forward and all that. And some sort of rapid at the passerelle test is going to have to exist before we can get back to business as usual. Well, and I think it, we need to touch on the fact that who, who, who is administering the test, who bought the test, and then is there going to be a liability back to that person? You know, if the boat is providing it for a charter client before mm -hmm. they come, is the charter client getting it done on their own? You know, there, there's so much more to this. Yeah. The science yeah. is emerging because, you know, frankly, other they're rapid test kits for other things. But as you know, if you have kids, you know, for example, rapid strep is never accurate. <laughs> so there's a lot to be worked out. The state of law of physics, everything, there's a cause and there's an effect. And the reason that we're, we're feeling what we're feeling right now is because obviously of the coronavirus. So that, I want to post a uh, the first poll if we can right now. And if you just take a second to uh, answer that and then we'll 
The poll asks, what do you believe is the most important factor that will lead to a sustained charter rebound and a prolonged economic recovery, proven coronavirus testing procedure, global yachting ports reopening, or discovery and administrative, administrative vaccine? Now, which is most important in your opinion? Okay, and if you would go ahead and let's, let's vote, Paul. Who are you going to vote for? <laughs> Who are you going to vote for? Okay, and then submit. And so uh, we segue over into this uh, sub as the votes are uh, accumulated and counted uh, into this whole thing. I mean, what does a test kit do? Get a test kit. What does that do? And a lot of us deal with um, uh, outbreaks on board and uh, you know who administers, what's the qualifications of the person administering the test and all that. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I want to talk to you a little bit about is what might be a reasonable position in the future to be able to welcome our charter guests back on. As a matter of fact, our owners back on their own yachts and also through considerations as far as their health and welfare and all that. Any opinions on this? I'll let anybody go to the floor to talk about it. Otherwise, I'll ask Daphne, it's for you. I, yeah. So, I mean, for obviously for, for instilling some confidence in welcoming people back again, I think this is going to be based on the type of client and the type of owner we're working with. Um, you know, I have some owners, clients that are really trying to stay away from things and they're being very conservative. I have others that are saying okay well as long as they really do give make some effort to um show us that they've been isolating and they've they've at least taken their temperatures and it, it's really on a case-by-case -case basis um until we have testing true true proven testing you know like some of the sidebars have said you know that are official um i do have some boats though that are okay with going with the honor system and we're putting in some language. Uh, I haven't had one actually signed yet, but we've offered language that just says, you know, you're not holding the crew and the owner liable for getting sick if you do come aboard, um, you know, in other terms, so to speak. Um, and it's mostly local, so they're not flying commercial, they're driving to the boat. It's something that is a little easier in this still very unknown period until we see more things open up. Um, you know, Bahamas, everybody wants it to open. We're just waiting for them to tell us what they're doing, and I think we're going to have some time to wait. We will yeah, have a seminar in the future here, incidentally, with Bahamas, Caribbean, and Mediterranean considerations. That date is a week from today. Week from today. No. But, but that's later. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about testing liability. And I, I David, what what is the, what's the broad reach in terms of liability here when crew be going get in a position of testing and so on? Well, testing. I mean, it's a good thing, but it makes me nervous because I do think people can put too much confidence in it. Mm -hmm. And if you, the last thing you want to do is represent to a charterer that you know, you're, you're warranting your crew is COVID free and you're completely safe because you can't do that. Mm -hmm. you, you can't say for sure. People can be asymptomatic and still be able to transmit the disease. But um, so I, I think it's appropriate to have disclaimers and indemnifications. Charters need to understand that, uh, you know, it's important to communicate to them the steps that you've taken to assure that the charter is safe, but they're also assuming uh, a degree of risk because we know this is out there. 
Um, and we know that even if you take these steps, you, you, you can't guarantee that you're protected from the virus. Uh, so I think that, you know, until um, really we, we get a, even after testing is widely available, until there's a vaccine, until we're really able to get on top of the disease, and as, as long as we know it's out there, charters need to be, be aware that there's a, there's a risk, just like there is in, in any other activity until those things happen. Let's for that comment off the bat. And prolong that kind of recovery, 14, I'm sorry, 8%. Uh, proven coronavirus testing proceeds 21% globally on reopening of course 36% and then a vaccine 35%. So all important, but it uh, looks like Portland uh, vaccine recommend are actually 80% of uh, of the um, sampling. So uh, that's as we can see, it's very important. Let me ask you a sort of like a theoretical question: Is there room in our industry for our, especially in the charter industry, for a company? to one contract, come in, test charter clients, test crew, sanitize the yacht, and be on hand for any uh, crises or outbreaks that may occur. Sounds is like there, a great business model. That, that doesn't, yeah. there is, we don't have that right now. There, no, there is, well, well, there, there is parts. one in Europe, uh, I think it's, pure something or other. I'm sorry, I don't have it handy at the moment, but they've been marketing that they can come on the boat and it's an official sanitization of the boat. Um, I mean, I just had a conversation with an owner and his crew yesterday about, you know, if we do do a charter and we know we've been in isolation aboard the boat for a month, really, um, and we wear gloves and masks, do you think that that's enough confidence being instilled for the charter clients and for our protection, so that if the, all this testing is kind of unsure still, we're showing that we're trying to be as cautious as possible. I said, look, it, it's better than nothing. And it's if those people want that, if they feel that's enough, then great. We can certainly offer that. David, what's enough? Uh, if you have what you have a duty of reasonable care what would a reasonable owner do in these you know to, to protect the passengers uh and who can really say what that is it's so fact dependent um it depends where the charter is well you know what the crew have been doing leading up to the charter there's just a number of factors that go into it um i mean if if i were an owner and i was trying if you're at the point where the the crew are, are wearing masks and gloves the whole time and that I, I wouldn't be booking a charter under those circumstances. Yeah, agreed. Um, but but that's just my opinion. Um, if I were a charter, I'd be looking at things like medical evacuation insurance. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there there are products out there that are designed not for this situation, but to offer charters a little more comfort. Um, but yeah, from an owner's point of view, I think liability is definitely a concern. You want to take the steps you can, but the, you don't want to represent that it's completely safe. Do you think it'll come down to flag states creating sort of not checklists but best practices? They may. I mean, I I, I'm, I can't say off the top of my head whether there are because under under Solus, for example, in vessels that are fully commercial, there are um, you know safety procedures, and I, I can't remember if there's any that deal specifically with communicable diseases. But um, not all not all vessels fall under that. Smaller vessels mm -hmm. don't necessarily fall under that. Um, 
if, if there is a procedure and you follow it, that may not be enough to protect you. Sure. Um, it's always better to, to follow, a, you know, flag state procedure, but um, there's always going to be a risk. Yeah, but I mean, I think that all of us as humans take a risk walking out of the door every day, you know? So I'm not saying that coronavirus isn't a higher risk. Don't get me wrong. Don't give me hate texts. Um, but, you know, when you when you charter a vessel, you do accept a certain amount of risk. You're going to use water toys. You're going to, you know, be in remote locations. You're going to be eating a chef's food who may or may not, you know, follow best practices. I think as an industry, and I, I see it happening, it's just not evolved yet. There are starting to be discussions. And yes, I know that we can't charter right now. There's so many comments on the side saying, well, you can't charter anyway. True. But we need to have a, a, a roadmap for the future. Um, you know, when when travel is available, when boats can leave and go out, you know, what can we put in place? And, you know, a lot of it has to come from the captains. What are they secure with? I mean, because they're ultimately responsible for the safety of their crew. You know, so a lot of it's going to have to come from captains and dialogues with flag state and dialogues with medical professionals. You know, we need rapid tests. We need what if scenarios. What if we do have someone become ill, whether it's crew or guests, what happens? Do they medevac? So on and so forth. So I think as an industry, we have to come together somewhat centralized. And I see MEBA doing it. And I also see various other places doing it to have the discussion, which I think is great because we're going to need to make some hard choices moving forward. Yeah, moving forward, I'd like to post our second poll if we could. And incidentally, you're getting a lot of support on your position there, Leanne, from others in terms, you are, in terms of best practices and all that. So if we could post our second poll. And what about the mattresses? <laughs> we think where you see the charter industry in January 1st, 2021, eight months out. And uh, in struggle to regain prominence, slow but mark but steady progress and upward trending. 88%. With uh, signs and uh, I can wish I could be just optimism for a reasonably good med season or fully recovering on all cylinders. You can tell I wrote the questions, right? Or the poll questions. Jason Bacon, just for your comment of 14 days between, that was something that was discussed amongst a group of captains yesterday. Uh, it was, you know, spacing out charters 14 days in between, if it so, to see if anybody's symptomatic or whatnot. Um, so that's an interesting idea to throw into the mix. Yeah, that that owner, incidentally, who was coming in, also had some direction uh, to uh, quarantine, have one cabin as a quarantine cabin in the event of spread. Oh, that's where that came from. And then you made the point earlier that uh, is it airborne? Does it go through the ventilation yeah. system and all that sort of thing? So. Interestingly, to Daphne's point about sanitizing yachts, I had to go to the hardware store yesterday. It was very essential, and. Um, and on the front door of the hardware store, there was this notice that the hardware store had been sanitized within the last 24 hours by XYZ, Viricide, whatever. And it was by a company. So, you know, I think that we are going to see an emergence of companies promoting sanitation, for lack of a better word, um, on the yacht. And I mean, again, liability, is that enough? I don't know. We're going to have to add some language either in addendums or to the contract about, you know, that there is health risk involved with travel. Here. For sure. I mean, look, this is the big thing that comes up from my crew in my fleet is, 
okay, so we've been isolated. That helps us to get our first charter potentially, right? Just like Jason's saying. Um, however, now that crew has been exposed to new people. So we've got this potential 14 day window that we're gonna wait for. But where are, are we then saying that guests can only arrive on private jet charters instead of commercial? Because they could have tested everything fine for weeks and also been in their own isolation. But now they've just gotten on a commercial flight and they've arrived on a boat. So who knows? We have so many factors involved here that we don't have control over. Yeah, absolutely. Can we assume that any charters are going on presently? And in fact, I'll ask Jason a question. Uh, are they all wearing charter? Are they all wearing face masks and lifting their face masks to drink their champagne and such? They make one with a little hole for a straw. I've seen it. Have you seen it? It's wild looking. Let's take a look at those again because I'm going to ask for closing statements here. So, um, at Luau, 80 to 90%. 90% between B and C, which is uh, optimistic and, and reasonable. I was uh, Agnes Howard sent me a, an article from the New York Times. I'm sure many of you have seen it. And it talked about a um, hostility, a social hostility that was beginning, beginning to emerge because David Geffen came on and talked about his $590 million yacht and how cool it is, his personal uh, escape and getaway, which uh, gives a little bit of a bad press. We don't need that kind of bad press. And also in terms of conspicuous consumption. And I, I hope that doesn't enter into charter clients thinking as well that, yeah, well, you know, I'm getting, I could go away, but that's just not cool to be going on a yacht just because I can afford it and all those sort of things. Jonathan Beckett was also quoted in that article to suggest that, they're doing a lot of what he called isolation charters. Mm -hmm. And the owners are doing what they call when they're using weathering the storm, is what he's calling that. All that. So as I want to close this out if we could. And, and I, what I, one thing that I'm, I'm finding very interesting is that a lot of the questions that are being asked uh, on the chat are being answered by others on the chat, which mm -hmm. is all pretty cool. All right. So um, you can see the handouts. Uh, Leanne provided a couple of handouts that we can click on. You can click on. Can I make a point about those handouts? Yeah. Can Sorry. You um, the one handout in particular I wanted to um, point out is that Eva now has a charter forum available via their website. So um, if, if people have additional questions or comments or suggestions or anything, that's a wonderful place to look to um, for information and dialogue. And we're trying to answer some further questions on there that yeah. didn't get yeah. answered now. Yeah. The yeah, questions that have been in the are... chat, we're all going to look at afterwards. <laughs> Super. All right. Uh, quick uh, one-liner or two-liners. This is the lightning round. Uh, your prospects for the next summer in the Mediterranean. Why don't we say thumbs up or thumbs down? All four of you may vote. 2020 or 2021? Uh, this year. This uh, year. Any at all. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah, thumbs down. Okay. Uh, the winter in the Caribbean. Sort of, I, think sort of, sort of. <laughs> I think it's looking okay. I think it's looking okay so far. Yeah, I think the risk is that we have a second wave of COVID in right. with the seasonal flu. And I think that could definitely put a damper on the Caribbean season, but we just don't know. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and, uh, and I want to talk about, even though it's not the hot, hot, hot charter destination, East Coast U.S., 
and the and the New England, I think New England represents somewhat like 10, 12 percent of all charter activity. And David, can you briefly talk to us about the legislation that's currently underway? Uh, yeah, so uh, Eva is working with uh, MIASF and uh, uh, their lobbyists in Washington to try and get legislation as part of the COVID relief package um, that would allow foreign yachts that are not duty paid to charter duty-free uh, in the U.S. for this summer only. Uh, now, there's a couple other parts of uh, that legislation that would also make it easier for foreign yachts to charter in the U.S., but the big piece is this sort of temporary relief, uh, duty-free chartering. For This is primarily intended for yachts that would have gone to the Met but didn't this summer. So there would be an option for them to charter in the U.S. That would be amazing. Yeah, that would be great. Do we have a time frame of when we might know? Well, I mean, it, it, does all have any new information? The last we heard was maybe by the end of the month, but, uh, but I don't know. Okay. We're working on it. And Claudia, Claudia Acevedo uh, of Remax and Jessica Engelman also, I'm sorry, posted a couple of links there. Melissa posted a link. I don't know what those are about. Feel free to look in on those. We're going to compile any questions that have not been answered uh, at our chat, uh, as uh, described by Leanne. And But those handouts, there was another handout, Leanne. The other one was just um, a blank example of the MEBA COVID-19 addendum, which if you haven't looked at it already, you need to be aware that there are options in there. So, you know, make sure you read through it before you blindly send it to somebody. Yeah, it's meant to be used as for a framework. all parties to agree on as a framework, exactly. Yeah, it's a framework, but um, but just make sure you read through it before you send it. Last panel question, thumbs up, th thumbs down, summer of 2021 in the med, the most resilient charter market home with 60% of the world's charter activity. All in favor say aye. Aye. And with that, I want to thank uh, Daphne and David and Leanne. It was a great webinar. Lots of really good information out there. Special thanks to all of you that tuned in and submitted so many great questions. Joe, Joe Dardavich was also available to talk about Bahamas quarantine questions and answers as well. You can be in direct contact with him. He's a great source of information. And with that, I will say all the best to you. Stay healthy and good luck. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.